0: I'm Valerie Moizel. Over 20 years ago I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. We all have what I call the four S's. The initial spark, the snag which trips you up, the shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order. And yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is she dynasty. Welcome back to She Dynasty. Today we're going to change the format a bit. I have had a lot of people ask me if I would do an interview because people are very interested to hear my story. So I thought a lot about who would be the right person to interview me. And there was only one person that came to mind. And that person who's sitting here with me today is Heidi Roberts. Hi Heidi. Hello.
1: How are you? I'm really good. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Thank you. So Heidi um, is a very special person to me and I know she hates when I do this and she's shaking her head right now, but she has been an incredible mentor to me for the past 16 years. And Heidi has an extensive background in advertising. She has worked for some of the largest agencies in the world, like Ogilvy, BBDO, Goodby Silverstein, Footcone Belding on the account side and also on the strategic planning side. And so Heidi um, has really taught me a lot about what I know about advertising. And she joined me in my career at kind of a very young age and really formed a lot of my opinions about how things should be, how advertising should be, And I am so thankful because I've learned so much from her.
1: Oh, that's really nice. Well, Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. You know, what I keep on thinking is like, gosh, we've known each other for so many years. But this interview is going to be fun because now I really get to know you.
0: I know, right?
1: (laughs) So I'm excited to learn about what really makes Valerie tick. Okay. And I knew you when you were so young in your career And I think you used to always look at people who had a lot of experience with so much admiration. And I always looked at you as with admiration and thought, geez, why doesn't she just look within? Because she's got so much going on and she's got so much on the big guys. So um, I just wanted to share with you that I always, you know, felt really proud of the work that you were doing and have had tons of confidence in you. 16 years ago and I have just as much, if not more, today. I really appreciate that. It means the world to me. So thank you. Well, this is a good start. It's like a love fest, right? (laughs) So here we are Valerie Moisel, Executive Creative Director and Partner of The Woo and they've been in business for 22 years, and that is really tough in this business, especially to stay private for so many years. And she and her partner still wholly own the Woo. But also, it's been so fun to sort of see the arc of their success over the past 22 years, because I can remember when we started working together, your clients were local. I mean, they were more mom and pop type clients. And now, you've got Bosch, Intel, Motorola, Lenovo, OPI Nail Polish, Sebastian Hair Products, Niagara. I mean, you really have become a global agency. So it's been really great to see you guys evolve from being sort of a small local agency to becoming a mid-size global agency.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a, a very interesting journey, especially when I think back to some of the first projects that I worked on. They were quite
1: afar. far cry from where we are today. Well, I want to get into those a little bit more, but I also want to talk a little bit more about you, Um, because in addition to being a creative person at the Woo, you're also a serial entrepreneur. And since I've known you, you've had, oh gosh, probably five or 10 side businesses sort of sidekicks that you've got going on. I remember the cutie kit, which was a cuticle, nail polish. Mm -hmm. It was uh, something that was like moisturizing your toes. (laughs) It was (laughs) was so that you wouldn't get an infection at the nail salon. I thought everybody should have their own personal kit. Right. Well, the packaging was amazing. Also, you're a mom to two beautiful daughters and wife to Josh for, we were trying to figure this out earlier, we have determined it's 16 years, which is a long time. It's a great, successful family you've got going on in, in addition to having a, an advertising agency, and that's that's a lot. So I listened to some of the podcasts that you've done, and I love them, by the way. And I was really intrigued by this idea of the spark, the snag, the shift and success. So I wanted to start with the spark. And what was the most significant spark, or what were the sparks that ignited the life of Valerie Moiselle?
0: So I was an interesting kid. Um, you know, a lot of Kids like to play with dolls and play outside, and I just had this obsession with creating businesses from a very, very young age. So I would do all kinds of silly things. Um, I would just make things and go set up a table right in front of my house and, you know, try to sell it. It didn't matter what it was. It was the art of, like, making and selling that kind of excited me. And to me, it was something that I felt really passionately about. And my parents always thought it was a little strange that I did it from a very young age. You know, I was a Girl Scout. And so anytime I had to sell cookies, I was like off the charts, like number one sales girl in the whole country. So I just had this obsession with kind of being able to sell or market something. So I think it started very, very young. Um, I started a few businesses. One was a barrette-making business. I sold out immediately. I had a puppet-making business. I had What do you ev- mean
1: you sold out? I sold <laughs> out. I mean, I
0: just, I remember I, I probably made 300 barrettes and took them to school, and word got out and then every the next day everybody came to school with their three dollars and they were gone, you know? And so immediately I just realized so, you know, I'd made my own logo and I would package everything and I would just go and market it. And how
1: old were you when you made the barrette?
0: I think the barrettes were around age nine that's when I kind of started that. I also had a puppet making um, business and then I put on a show and I remember we put up flyers around the neighborhood and I think we had something like 120 kids show up cause the word got out in our front yard. And so that was really exciting as well just cause me and my friend, you know, we created and then we started a little business. And that was successful. And then I think one of my favorite stories is my neighbor and I, at the time, I think we were 12. And we decided that we were going to go into the record-making business. And so we created a song. And I lived up in the Hollywood Hills at the time. And so I decided that it was time for us to go and pitch our song. So we had a family member drive us down to Capitol Records. And we just walked right inside the doors of that round, iconic building and went right up to the receptionist and said, hey, we have a song that we'd like to pitch. And she she laughed, of course. She thought it was really funny that there was these two kids. But she thought we were really cute, so she called somebody upstairs, and some big record executive came down and thought we were awesome. And he let us sing, and we did it. And they clapped, and we didn't get a record deal.
1: But it was sure a great experience. So when you walked away from that experience, did you think, I need to go to another record company? Or did you feel satisfied because you had done this? I think I
0: kind of felt like I conquered that. You know, I didn't really know what it meant to have a record deal one thing you're going to learn about me through this uh, interview is I've learned that what drives me a lot is this perfect balance between being fearless and being terrified and I'm in perfect harmony when I feel both of those equally so as bold as I am to walk in there I was obviously scared out of my mind and it for some reason is what really gets me excited and once I feel like I can conquer that and do that then I'm ready for the next challenge
1: okay right on um, actually, that makes a lot of sense to me now. As I said early on, I'm gonna really get to know you, and I actually can see this in your career as well. I can see the same sort of need to promote, to pitch, to get out there and to sell an idea. Okay, so talk about what it was like when you were a kid, because you were doing so many creative things, And but your whole life wasn't selling lemonade, was it? I mean, what else were you doing? Um, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. My mom was raised in Paris
0: and my father in Israel. They met in France. Got married after two weeks, and uh, moved here to start a better life. And so, you know, I watched my dad as a child really hustle to kind of make it, and he did. My mom supported him the whole way, and I had a great childhood. It was it was nice to me. It felt like I had everything I needed. I had a very supportive family. It was a nice place to be.
1: So let's talk about some of the things that you learned from your parents because I have known your father for the past 16 years as well I know he's really important in your life he's your rock if you will and what did you learn from him I mean do you find that you're similar to him or are you different from him
0: so gosh it's so hard for me to talk about my dad my dad is my he's my strength he's my soul anytime I feel weak I just kind of think about him and all that he's taught me Anytime I have a problem, I call him immediately. He always has an answer for me. He's just taught me that there's always a solution. There's always a way to um, get out of any situation. And he is really one of the only people in the world who can kind of calm me down when I feel like things are hectic and just make me feel like there's a better way or another way to do this. And don't worry, we're going to get through this. And I think that's what's been really important to me, that he always makes it a kind of a we and that I'm not in it alone. And so that's been a really important part of um, my psyche and I think what's made me successful.
1: But you know what, I think when people hear this, they'll assume that your father, that you've got, you know, a father who's always supporting you or helping you financially or something. And I know that that's not the case, that your father is actually really tough on you sometimes too, because this isn't the traditional, you know, run to daddy and he's going to help solve all my problems. I mean, he is sometimes super tough on you. He is. and he, you know, his background's
0: really interesting. He came from a very, very poor family. I mean, so poor that I think the story goes that there was a few of his siblings that actually passed away in childhood because of disease, and the family didn't have um, the ability to, you know, treat it properly. And so I think those things have had a profound impact on him. So he's always wanted to, Kind of teach me just because he had to work so hard and hustle to get to where he is that I have to do the same and never to underestimate how important that is.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the concept of hustle has been important in your life because I can remember when you were younger, it was this, you know, fake it till you make it type of an attitude that you had that was very convincing. And now you've made it, so you don't have to fake it anymore. But you were hustling a lot when in the first years of your career.
0: This idea that my dad has taught me to kind of hustle only came and started once he accepted that I was going to be a businesswoman and there was no way around that. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about how that came about, but there was a whole bit of time where you know he didn't see my future being that. And so he had a different idea of what was going to happen for me.
1: Right. Well, let's jump into that. So hurdles and the snags that you encountered. Sure. I'm always fascinated by p- how people work through struggles to overcome and, you know, trauma in their life or, you know, the struggle is real. I mean, how people get through that often shapes the character that they become. And I always feel like it's it's interesting to watch how kids deal with struggle right now because you can sort of anticipate what they're going to be like as adults. And I would love to have seen you go through some struggles when you were a kid, but can you describe some of those? I mean, what was the hardest, what was the biggest challenge or the biggest hurdle?
0: I think there's two. I think, number one, my parents' divorce was really hard on me. For some reason, I had this idea in my mind that we had a perfect family. So it was very, it kind of came out of nowhere, it was very shocking. It was weird because at first I kind of enjoyed it because my mom was very, very strict. And um, she kind of left the picture for a bit. So I had all this weird freedom, and so I loved it. But then I crashed a few years later. And that happened when I was 15. And then I think the second hardest thing or snag that I came across was I remember being in my junior year of high school, and a lot of my friends started talking about going to college and how important that was. And parents were taking their kids on college tours, and they were filling out their applications, and there was SAT prep and tutors. And neither my mom or my dad spoke to me about this, and they came from a different era, a different time, a different place, and I think that they very much believed that, you know, the place of a woman at the time was to, when you finished high school, you go get married. You find a husband, you know, one that does well, and you get married and you build a life together and you become a housewife, similar to how my mom was. Now my mom supported my dad. She wasn't you know, lazy in any sense of the word, but it was kind of something they built together. And so I think that that was the path that they saw for me. And I had a really hard time with this. And that was because I was this hardcore entrepreneur at heart and someone who had more drive than you know most adults. And so it was a really confusing time because I didn't know what to do with that, especially when you don't have somebody encouraging you, you know, it's, it's really tough. And I knew I was driven. And I remember going to my parents and saying, Hey, are we going to go on college tours? And my dad saying, college tours, why would you do that? If you want to go to college, you know, maybe you could go to the one down the street. If there's, you know, maybe I heard there's one in Santa Monica or Northridge, but you can't leave. You can't abandon me. I've raised you your whole life. You're just going to leave. You can't do that. Hmm. Wow.
1: Yeah, it was. It's, <laughs> this must have been really interesting conversation. It,
0: it, well, it's just it's just the way that they were raised. You know, it's just a different time and a different idea of how families worked. And, you know, I don't blame him for it. It's just how he saw the world. And I graduated high school, and I I had to figure it out on my own. So I enrolled in Santa Monica College at first. I got a retail job immediately just because I needed to do something that made sense as I was looking for my husband, I guess. That was what I was supposed to do. And I was confused about what I wanted to do. And the funny thing is, is when I was at Santa Monica College, I decided that I wanted to be a doctor.
1: I remember you saying something. It's <laughs> the that. most bizarre
0: thing, because anybody who knows me, I'm terrified, yeah. terrified to even get a blood test. So the idea of doing anything related in the medical field. And you know, I wanted to be like a brain surgeon. And the reason this came about was because I remember in, in seventh grade, there was a job fair. And this woman came in, and she gave us a form. And we were supposed to um, answer all these questions. If you answer the questions, it would tell you which job was right for you. And so for some reason, my questions led to being a doctor because it was one of the most ambitious, hardest things to do. So all the questions led to that. Plus, it paid the most money. And I remember the form saying, doctors, there was two jobs that paid the most money. One was a doctor and the other was a pilot. And I remember on the at the time when I was in seventh grade, they both paid $200,000. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I need to make that kind of money. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. But... Um, It was also the most schooling, the most, um, you know, just all the things that made you the most ambitious. So somehow I said, okay, I'm not flying a plane, so I guess I have to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. So because of that form, I decided I was going to be a medical doctor. Awesome. So you
1: went to school to study medicine for a while? (laughs) I, I went to
0: SMC to and this is how lost i was and how little guidance i had i went to smc and took a to be a doctor class so it was pretty funny that i didn't even understand how that worked but once i took the class i realized okay this is not a thing for me this isn't going to work so i remember feeling really lost and not knowing what i wanted to do and so i called my dad and i said okay I'm not going to be a doctor. This is not happening for me. Um, And I think my dad started realizing at this time, like, okay, he's got to change his tune about me and get me serious. And so I thought, okay, the next logical thing that I can do is I said, you know what? I'm going to go into real estate. My dad's in real estate. And he's going to teach me everything he knows. And I'm going to like take over his business. And this is going to be great because I'm going to hustle like he did. And so I remember going to my dad and said, great news. You know, I'm going into real estate. I'm going to do what you do. And he looked at me and he said, you can't go into real estate. And I said, why? And he said, you don't have any money. He's like, to be in real estate, you have money. And if you sit around my office, you're going to bug me. So the answer is no. So he shut me down and that conversation was over. So now I was really lost. And I remember just going into kind of a a depression of, you know, just not knowing what I wanted to do. And it's a really hard age, you know? So I was probably 19 or 20. A few years kind of went by and I was just trying to figure it out and totally lost. And I was always, again, very creative and always still doing my thing where I'd always start little businesses and I started, you know, a swim school. And um, I remember that the best part about, you know, creating the swim school was the beautiful flyer that I hand designed and, you know, went out and got a ton of clients and was making a ton of money. But it wasn't really a career path. I was always successful at everything I did. And then I had an aunt, and um, I gave her a lot of credit, because I remember having a conversation with her. Her name is Claudine, and she knows me really well. She knew that I had this perfect kind of balance between creative and business, and she said, come on, get in the car, come with me, I want to take you somewhere. And she drove me up to the Pasadena Arts Center College of Design, and it was life-changing. I walked in, and the smell of that place, the look of that place, we walked through the student gallery, I saw the creativity, I saw the art on the walls, I could tell that it wasn't just um, art for art's sake, it was art that met business, and I knew that this is the place where I belonged. And so she took me into the office and said, hey, you should uh, talk to the admissions gal and see what it takes to get in here. And I, I asked her, and she said, oh, well, you have to create a portfolio of 12 original pieces, and if we like them, then we'll accept you. I said, great. And I walked out, and I had no idea what that meant. And so she said, go back in and ask what that means. And I said, "Okay." So I walked back in, and I said, I'm really embarrassed, but I don't know what that means. And she said, you need to create print ads, like advertising, like a billboard. And I said, "Okay," Still didn't know what it meant. So I ended up signing up for a night class. I created my portfolio there and got in. Oh, right on. Do you still have that portfolio? I do. It sits in my office. Does it really? Yeah, it's pretty funny. You should, I should frame
1: some of those and put them up.
0: It sits in my office. I should actually post them on my podcast to show people because you will laugh.
1: Actually, that would be a great idea.
0: But there's a little secret. Um, one of our first accounts that we pitched in one, a few of the pieces from my portfolio from school made it in there. It was like a don't ask, don't tell policy. Oh, that's
1: awesome. Was that the champagne business?
0: Um, no, it was our first pitch. It was actually for Winchell's Donuts.
1: oh, wow. Yeah. cool. So do you think that that was your shift? I mean, was that was art center when things started straightening out for you? Was it understanding what you wanted to do? Art Center was an
0: incredible shift. I mean, i don't I can't explain it. It just was this moment of clarity for me and just being around these people and teachers that understood me. and it was just the perfect place that understood both sides of my brain and how it worked. And advertising was the answer to all of my struggles. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because you were starting all these businesses all these years, and I'm not sure if you loved the businesses as much as you loved promoting them. Correct. And you loved the game of seeing if you could get other people excited about it. Hundred percent. I yeah. love
0: to win, and I love to win people over. Mm-hmm. And you, you love know, to woo people. I love to woo people. I wanted yeah. people to want what I had to offer. That's what excited me.
1: So when you graduated from Art Center, most people, like they're dying to get a job and you know for the last 6 months of their schooling they're going to work on setting their portfolios out they're going to work on trying to land that first job you have an interesting story about that first job and an interesting story about why you didn't take that first job there's actually two parts
0: to the story so the first thing that happened was at the end of every term of art center they do an, a college fair. So all the big agencies come in because they know that Art Center is one of the best schools for um, art directors and copywriters, and they try to recruit you know the brightest stars. And I decided immediately to opt out. I opted out because I decided that I was going to start my own agency. And I remember the dean of the advertising program at that time, her name was Paula Goodman, she called me up and she said, what are you doing? How are you not coming to this job fair you're one of our you know our brightest stars here and I said you know Paula I just decided that I'm going to start my own agency and she just thought I was like crazy she could not understand she said Valerie it's not that easy you don't just graduate art center and start your own agency I said I know but it's just kind of what I need to do I remember a few weeks later um, it was graduation and we had a keynote speaker and at the time the keynote speaker was David Suisa. And he was um, one of the founders of the Suisa Miller agency, which back in the day was, you know, pretty successful. And we were excited, obviously, because as, you know, young students graduating, you want to hear from somebody like him. And so he got up in front of us and he announced to us, and nobody had known this yet, that his agency just won the Acura business. And it was a big deal.
1: It was a big deal. I remember that. It was a huge deal. It was a huge
0: deal because he was kind of the underdog agency going up against all these big boys, and he took it. And so he got up and he announced it. I remember, you know, the entire student body got up and cheered, you know, hundreds of us. It was so exciting. We were so excited for him. And so he said, I have great news. We just won the Acura account. Even better news, I need you all to show up tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., and we all laughed. And then he said, and don't forget the bagels. So that night, I decided that I was going to do something really bold. And I called a friend of mine. And I said, hey, I'd like to go to Suisa Miller Agency tomorrow at 8 AM and bring some bagels. So we went and we bought a couple hundred bagels and cream cheese. You bought
1: a couple hundred bagels? We did. Because we didn't know how many people.
0: <laughs> I was We were trying to do the math of how many people would need to um, handle an account that big. And we realized it'd probably be a lot of people. I wasn't sure if they were hired yet or what the deal was. but. I just knew that if I was gonna make an impact, it had to be a lot. So we were there promptly at um, 8 a.m. and I remember getting there, I was so scared. And again, this was another moment of being fearless and terrified at the same time. And I was in like perfect bliss because that's where my happy place is. And I went up the elevator with her and I kept saying, this is the craziest thing. He's gonna think we're so psycho. I don't know what we're doing. And we went up to the receptionist. It was kind of like the the same story as what we did at Capitol Records, actually, now that I think of it. And I said, Hi, um, I have a note, you know, for in a package for um, David Suisa. And I actually wrote on the note, You told us to be here at eight AM for the job. We figured you were kidding, but we brought the bagels anyway. Good luck. And we dropped it off and she goes, Well, do you want to see anybody? And I said, no, no, no! We just want to drop it off, and we dropped it, and we ran back to the elevator. We were so, we were giggling, and we just thought this is so silly. And we were waiting for the elevator. I remember pushing the button a hundred times just because I wanted it to come as fast as possible. And all of a sudden, David Suisa comes running down the hall, and he goes, "Wait, wait! You come here!" And he came he came and got us, and he brought us up in front of his entire staff, and announced to everybody what we had done, and we got a standing ovation, and he offered us a job.
1: Wow. And
0: I decided not to take it.
1: What? Hang on a second. David Suiza offered you a job and you said no? Yes. He, you know, he liked the thinking. He said that
0: was exactly the type of person that he, you know, needed there. He was obviously a very junior job, whatever I needed to do, but I had to stick to my original plan, which is I'm going to open my own agency and I'm going to do it tomorrow. And so
1: So what did people tell you because I mean, I can imagine people said you don't have any real experience. I mean, you can't open an agency right now. I mean, what was what were the types of things that people were trying to say to you that you couldn't do? I mean, it was just that it was
0: I don't know why I, could, I didn't hear that. I didn't understand what that meant. I just what what's the big deal? You just do it. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I was confident in myself and my abilities and I knew that I
1: could do it. And that's a really big insight about your character is that you don't even hear it. It's like if somebody says, no, not hear the reasons why you can't do something. I mean, a lot of people have to talk their way through that, but Valerie just doesn't even hear it. <laughs> it's like, I never even heard those words. I'm just still going forward.
0: I just I just had to do it. It just was kind of my calling from within. And so I was smart enough to know. I had a two-bedroom apartment at the time. And so I immediately um, tried to use some of the contacts that I had. And I hired some of the two um, best design art directors that i knew at art center to work for me they had just graduated too so, so they you needed hired a job. them like you i just hired, hired them with full-time job and you yep. have no clients i took some of my student loans and bought two computers okay and i opened shop I what started, was the name of your agency it was called think tank advertising uh-huh. i had a little logo and it had a little tank on it which is a little say but it's okay it was very pretty you know they were two of the best designers art directors um at the school and so i was out kind of hustling getting the business and they were kind of doing the work and it was like instant agency. and So, so my, what were your first projects? So my very first project was um, with Corbell Champagne. And I had an old friend that I had known from my younger years. His father was um, one of the owners of Corbell Champagne. So I went to him and I begged him for a job. And I said, let me just show you what I can do. I'll do it for free. You don't have to pay me. If I do a great job, you pay me. And if I don't do a great job, you don't pay me. And I really had that attitude. I just wanted to prove to people that I could do it. And I knew that if I could just get in there, that I could, you know, really make a, an impact. So he gave me a chance, and he liked what I did. And then he flew me up there and had me present to the entire board of directors at Corbell, which was terrifying because it was like a huge boardroom of um, a bunch of kind of much older people, and they really liked what they saw. And so it was fantastic. And I ended up doing a second project for them.
1: And, um, and now you're in business. And then I was now in business. No, think tank is alive. It's got a client. in yeah, a champagne I
0: had a client. It was great. It was really exciting for me.
1: Mm-hmm. So, did you ever grow beyond? Did think tank grow beyond the apartment? Or no, it never grew evolve? past
0: the apartment. It was always. I think I got to maybe one or two more employees there because I just started taking on um, some other jobs. I started doing some movie posters at the time, and then I had a few kind of local companies hiring me to do things. Um, But that was kind of obviously a big one for me to be able to get and prove myself. So it gave me a lot of confidence. And the fact that, you know, Aaron gave me that chance was really exciting. And it was a real push
1: and propelled me to the next step. So this is the big shift, because now you found what you love. I mean, the first shift is you go to art center and you find what you're great at. You find your passion. It's really feeding your soul. And now you find something that's like feeding your soul in a way that can feed it for life, I mean, truly. For sure. It was a big proof of concept for me. Huge proof of concept. So what happens with Think Tank? We were going
0: for about a year and a half, and things were great. And I got a phone call from my aunt, who wanted to invite me to a dinner, because she wanted to introduce me to someone that she had met in advertising. So I came over, and there was uh, a guy there. His name was David Abecerra. And at first I thought she was trying to set me up because he was there by himself. But it turned out he was married. So you know, David was there. We were about the same age, mid-20s, both starting out in advertising. And at the time, he was working for a company called PPG Advertising. And it was a very, very small company in Santa Monica that specialized in radio advertisements. And it was run by two gentlemen. And David was their new business guy. So he was tasked with just getting new clients. And so he was selling creative radio ideas and media. And so we met that night. We talked about advertising again, both just starting out, didn't know much. And we exchanged numbers. And, you know, I really never thought I'd hear from him again. And then I remember a few months later getting a phone call from him and him saying, Hey, Valerie you know, we have this interesting pitch coming up and um, there's a big print component to this and this agency doesn't do print, so we were wondering if you would pitch it with us. And I thought, sure, why not? You know, another client, let's do it. So I went to meet with them and I was super excited because the client was one that i had grown up with. It was Winchell's Donuts. It's kind of a staple here on the West Coast. Winchell's Donuts has been around forever. Some of the best donuts, I'm a huge fan. And so, wow, I got to pitch a company that I loved. So I worked on the campaign. Um, I concepted the whole thing by myself, art directed the whole thing by myself. Richard wrote the radio commercial that accompanied it, but I um, did the rest of it. We went in and we pitched. And I think there was 10 agencies. And I remember getting the phone call that we won. Wow. And it was mind blowing. It was crazy. It was just one of those moments, again, where It was like, how did this happen? How is this possible? I remember going to my first big pitch, again, being fearless Fearless and and terrified terrified (laughs) at the same time. Here we go again, feeling total bliss. This is like my state of euphoria. And we did it. Mm -hmm. And they believed
1: me. They believed us. And And they believed us. That was really important, because you and David have been partners in the woo for 22 years. So was that that was the first time you met? First time you worked together? Thanks to your aunt. What works so well about David and I is that we do
0: two totally different things. And our partnership has always been built on a very simple principle. And so this is like two kids like shaking hands and like making a business pact. And that was you get the business I'll do the work. Yeah, you guys were like kids who would pinky
1: swear yeah, or something. That, the it was
0: literally, it felt like that. Right. So he would bring it in, and I would concept and execute it. We won Winchell's, and then I finished the um, project with them. I went back to my company, and um, at the same time was still servicing my other clients. Um, so I had my people at my house working in my apartment while I was doing this. And then they brought me in for another pitch, and that was for Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, another brand that I adore and love and grew up with. And we won. We won again. Wow. And this is like a month later. And you had breakfast so, covered, man. I mean, it was crazy, right? Yes, exactly. And then we pitched another company, and it was Robex Juice. And we won again. And so now we're on a roll. And I remember the owner of the company, Louis, um, calling me into my office. And he said, OK, we need to talk. And I said, what's up? He goes, you have to come work here full time. And I said, I'm sorry, Lewis, I can't work for you full time. And he said, why? He's like, we're on a roll. This is like magic. This is like lightning in a bottle. Like, how could you not work here? And I was like, I know it makes a lot of sense, but I just need to own my own company. I can't work for you. And he, I just remember him just being like, please, you've got to consider this. This is crazy. And so he said, OK, I'm going to make you a ridiculous offer. I have to because I, I need you. I, like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. So he made me a ridiculous offer. And he said to me, I remember him saying to me, just do it for a year. Just do it for a year. If you hate it, you go back to your own company. Just do it for a year. And he worked on me and he worked on me. And so finally I agreed, but I had one condition and he agreed to it. And it's probably the most embarrassing moment of my advertising career. And that is that if I was going to work for him, he had to negotiate my salary with
1: my dad. With your dad? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not lying. And so I picked So what did you do, get on the phone with your dad? <laughs> yes. Dad, this is my potential new boss.
0: <laughs> yes. I called my dad, and I said, Dad, you have to negotiate this for me. And he, was like, he looked at me like, are you joking me? And I said, nope. If you want me here, you have to negotiate this with my dad, because I don't know what I'm doing. And I want him to negotiate this for me. And he agreed. And I remember sitting in the corner and listening to my dad. <laughs> And Louis negotiate my salary. Of course, my dad got it up a bit. So kudos to my dad for that. But oh my god, that is like, I'm mortified that I did that. What I mean, what the hell? I mean, that's how young and dumb
1: I was. I think it's sort of sweet and innocent. (laughs) I mean, it shows the power of that relationship. And actually, you know what? That really does show Valerie and Mayer, who's your father, because it's not a traditional father-daughter relationship. I mean, you guys are almost like business partners. Oh, my
0: goodness. I mean, what the hell was I thinking? But you know, he did it. And And he he said, wow, I'm never, ever going to forget this moment for the rest of my Mm -hmm. life. And so you worked there for a couple of years. Yeah, I worked there for a couple of years. And then he decided that he didn't want to be there anymore. He left. And so then it was me and David and the other partner. And what we found really quickly was that David and I were doing all the heavy lifting, and the other partner, he was a, f- a phenomenal person. He had different dreams, different aspirations. He's moved on to do incredible things, but he, um, you know, he just, what, his heart wasn't into it. He was a lot older than us. And David and I realized that it was time for us to go to him and say,
1: It was a lot older. Was it like 36? <laughs>
0: mm, yeah. Probably. At the time, it seemed a lot older, by Mm -hmm. the way. Wow. I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. But to me, it always seemed a lot older. So we went to him and we said, hey, you have to make us partner. And if you don't, we're going to take the clients with us because he wasn't doing a lot of the work. And he made us partner. And then a few years later, we went back to him and said, hey, this isn't working. We're going to buy you out. Mm-hmm. And because we had um, the majority of the um, shares, we were able to do that. Mm-hmm. And we left on great terms. And he's moved on to do beautiful things. OK, good. So then
1: the Woo was born.
0: So then the Woo was born. And we had to come up with a new name for this company. We searched and searched and searched. And I think I, I, I'm not going to lie. I think I sat down with the dictionary and read it like from front to end. And I remember getting to the end of the dictionary and finding the word Woo. Woo.
1: Yeah. And you've always said, what about the woo? I mean, the woo is, means what? To woo is to seek favor
0: of, right? It is to to gain someone's affection, um, you know, and I really believed in my heart that that's always what I have wanted to do. And I remember when I read the definition, it like I got chills. I was like, that's the name of the company,
1: mm-hmm.
0: woo. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. We woo people to brands. We woo our customers. We woo clients,
1: And um, it just felt like the right name. I think we should sit with something that you just said for a minute, is that you've always wanted to gain the affection. Yes. Yeah, because I sort of see that as a pattern in your life now. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. I think so. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing, especially today. I mean, who does that? Right. Especially in advertising. I mean, you really do want to gain the affection of your clients' customers. I do, and my
0: clients, by the way. Mm -hmm. My client relationships are really important to me, and it's as important that they love us and love the experience as it is the end customer. And I don't think a lot of agencies feel that way. I think they believe wholeheartedly that it's only about you kind of skip that middle step and go to the end consumer. But I care about that whole relationship of how it goes to the client and then all the way down to the customer.
1: Yeah, there's always been an authenticity about your desire to do the right thing. Yeah. for your clients and their customers. that has been really appealing, I think. And it really makes you stand apart also. Um, so let's talk about the first couple of years of the Woo. So uh-huh. you and David are partners.
0: We're partners, and we were working on Coffee Bean. We were able to keep um, that account, so we were doing that for a few years. We had a local mattress company. Um, we had warehouse shoe sale. I don't know, WSS, if you mm-hmm. ever heard of that. And I remember going to David, and we had a meeting, and I said, you know what, I think it's time for us to bring in the big boys. If we're going to, like, level up, we need to get some people around us that really know what they're doing. And so you were one of those first people because here you, you came You thought in. I knew what I was doing? You Well, to me, you <laughs> did. I mean, you came from all these, you know, big, scary, very legitimate agencies, and I was just in awe of you just because I knew – Um, you know, some of the projects you worked on. I mean, you were part of the Got Milk team and some other huge, huge things. And to me, you were like a movie star. And so the fact, I remember when you came in and you met with us, and I think you were just kind of over the big agency thing. And you were kind of, it was very refreshing to you to see these two young, crazy kids
1: that were just trying to do something different.
0: And I think you needed a break.
1: Right? No, I think it's very true. And we should probably share right now that I am about 10 years older or eight years older than they are, but they've always felt like kids to me. And I think it was the innocence and just the spirit of the agency because David and Valerie always felt like my younger siblings in some way. And it was funny because they would look up to the big boys. And I always remember thinking, God, you guys have it going on. I mean, the big boys want to be like you. They want to be fresh and young and nimble. And yet you still looked up to the big boys.
0: Yeah, it was uh, important to me. And so You know, you joined and I felt like, wow, this is like a whole new caliber. And you kind of taught us how big agencies did it. And you explained what a brief was and strategic planning. And, you know, at the time, it didn't work like that. The clients would call us. I would pick up the phone. I was the account person and the creative person and the production artist and um, we were, you know, a few people, maybe at the time, you know, 10 people, and everybody was doing different things and all wearing a million different hats, but making it happen and making it work.
1: And then we got into that pitch. What was it? It was The Good Guys, The Good right? Guys, yeah. yes.
0: And uh, the way we got into that pitch. The Good pitch. Guys,
1: for people who don't remember that brand, it was like the precursor to Best Buy. Yes. Remember, it was a con- it was consumer electronics yes. store all throughout the West Coast, wasn't it? Yeah, North. they had a, they big. had quite
0: a few stores. It was pretty big, and the, the it's a funny story how we got in. Um, David hired a new business guy. He had no experience, and he literally would call people cold. And he called this woman, and I'm going to say her name because she's like an angel. Her name is Mary Doan. Hi, Mary. And this guy's name was Jack, and Jack was our new business guy, and he got Mary on the phone. And he said, Mary, if you just let us come in, we're gonna double your business. That's literally the words he used to her. And I remember when he told us he said that to her, we were mortified because it's not what you say to somebody. Anyways, Mary Joan took a meeting with us and um, she actually invited us to her home and she invited us in and she told me, anybody who was crazy enough on the phone to tell her that they would double her business, she had to meet us because it was such a weird approach and she was intrigued. And she decided to give us a small project because she liked what she you know, what she saw when she met us. She believed in us. And she gave us our very first small project. And I am forever grateful that she, number one, took that meeting, which I can't believe she did. And then she actually gave us a project. And we proved ourselves. Like, I wanted to make her so happy. I was so excited that she gave us that opportunity. And so we kept getting project after project after project. And then we heard that they were going into, like, a review for the whole account. And you actually pitched that with us. I
1: did. I remember that. that was a fun pitch.
0: It was, and we were up against some big agencies. And yeah, I, I don't mean,
1: remember who we were up against. We were up against a, a few them.
0: big agencies, and we wanted it so bad. We there was nothing that was going to stop us. We mm-hmm. were um, excited. We were hungry. We had some insight, obviously, into Mary and how she thought, and she was the marketing, you know, one of the top marketing people there, and we brought it. We brought it, and I just remember how good the work was, and um, I think about a week later, and I'll never forget this, but another incredible woman who had a huge impact on my life, her name was Kathy Stauffer. She was a top uh, marketing person at the organization at the time, and she did something really special that I'll never forget, and that is that she walked through the front doors of our agency holding a bottle of champagne and a bouquet of flowers. And that was such a transformative moment for me. Yeah, I think she had
1: her team with her too, didn't she? She did. She had a few people with her.
0: And I just remember tears streaming down my face because, oh my God, to me, this was like I had made it. I had arrived. It was like a formal you won. She flew here and walked through the doors of my agency. She didn't even know what to expect. Like she didn't even know if we were like in a garage. We weren't, by the way. But she walked in holding that bottle of champagne and I just remember like, balling just because for me i that's it i arrived i was done well you weren't done (laughs) i was done for the moment i just i felt
1: like i it was such an incredible accomplishment yeah i remember that day it was pretty big i remember valerie thinking Wow, we've had the big time. And I remember me thinking, you know what? That was a clean, cool win because we went in there with the best intentions. Yeah. That's good. You know, we just went in there and we told the truth. We were on fire. And you know what? We were so bold too because we went in, as I recall, it was the top 10 things you need to do. Oh, yeah. We did a truth review, we told (laughs) them why they sucked. That was really (laughs) They liked that. They were really excited that we told them why they sucked.
0: And they um, really believed in how honest and truthful we were. And I think they saw that we were in it with them in a way that maybe the other agencies weren't. Mm -hmm. Felt fresh.
1: Yeah. I think clients to this day probably say the same thing about the woo, don't you think? I
0: do. And I I have to say, I really think that a part of why um, we've had success has been this perfect split between David and I just being kind of fearless and not really knowing what we're doing and rogue at the beginning. Now we know what we're doing. It's been 22 years, so... I I obviously have figured it out. But at the time, we were just kind of rogue and didn't know what we were doing. But then we were smart enough to surround ourselves with people who really knew what they were doing. And there was a magic. There was a magic between the two um, ways of thinking and how they came together and how that kind of translated in the room. And I think that clients felt it. And so we started to win things together. And I loved it. I loved learning every day. And I'd always hear perspectives of how big agencies did things, and I'd be like, yeah, but maybe we should do a little bit more like this. And then I'd find the compromise between how the big agencies do it and how Valerie and David would do it, and that always seemed to be the perfect spot.
1: hmm So this partnership with David, 22 years. Yes. I mean, you've been with David longer than you've been married. I know. Yeah. How's it going? It's I mean, great. what's it like? It's great. We don't do the
0: same thing. We complement each other. And I think because of that, it's worked. And partnerships are hard. They're really tough. You learn a lot about each other and we've had our bumps, you know. I'm not going to lie be, you know, totally lying if I told you things were perfect, but for the most part, like I think we like love and respect each other and because of that we're like brother and sister. And I think the best part is him and I can totally get in an argument or fight and we'll like tell each other off, but then the next day we just pretend like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And we just start over. Yeah. And, and that, that doesn't is... happen often, but it happens once in a while, but it's healthy. Right. You know, I also attribute a lot of our success to another colleague of mine who has been at the Wu for many, many years. His name is John Gibson, and he is the managing director. And he was another very strategic hire that we brought on um, early on. He had big agency experience. He had worked on Verizon Wireless's Can You Hear Me Now campaign. And he came in um, was also kind of done with Big Agency World and, you know, liked our fresh perspective. And he's been incredibly vested in our agency and a big part of how and why we are successful today.
1: Okay, so the good guys. That sort of propels us into we're now one of the big boys, in California at least. Yeah, it's a regional client.
0: They're West Coast. They have a ton of stores. And another brand that we, you know, I grew up with and loved Loved it. Got to walk in the stores all the time and see our advertising in action.
1: And we had TV commercials, we had TV, we had television, radio, we had, radio, we print, had outdoor boards, billboards everything and all of a sudden the woo had some visibility we did right and we also had the respect of some clients who moved on to other positions and things correct so what happened as a result of the of us winning the good guys so I think um we made a big impact on our clients
0: and I think this is how the woo has grown and one of the um, people who worked there which um, was Kathy Stauffer moved to a different company which at the time was Gateway Gateway and computers? Gateway computers, yeah. if you all remember the uh, the cow box, uh, the cow the print cow on the box, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, a few years later, we just got a call from her, and she said, hey, guys, I'm in a new company, and I have a small project. Same thing, you know. Again, there's a huge pattern that happens with the woo. We feel very strongly that we have to prove ourselves and earn people's respect and a seat at the table, and that's really important for us. Listen, in advertising, um, you know, we're experts at kind of marketing ourselves and saying the right things and knowing what to say in um, a pitch. But it's really different when you experience somebody. And I think that we believe to our core that people have to experience us and how we approach things and feel like we have earned our spot to be there because we really give a shit, Mm -hmm. you know, in a big way. I look at all my clients' business as an extension of my own business and, and I think that's because I'm a business owner. And I feel really guilty about taking people's money if I don't deliver, because I think about what that would mean if the tables were turned. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's what's really important.
1: So Kathy calls, and she's at
0: Gateway Computer. She's at Gateway, and she basically says, have a project. We come in. We do the project. We do a great job. And she, a few months later, says, OK, this is kind of crazy, but we're going into review for the national business. And I'm going to throw you guys in as the wild card. And that was just music to my ears. I was like, yes, the wild card. I love being the wild card. So we were up against some big agencies this time. Yeah, who were you up against? Um, I know one of them was Crispin Porter Uh at the time, and they were the hottest agency. And I was like, I'm going up against Crispin, and I'm going to kick some butt. And I remember thinking that I, I had to do whatever it took to make it happen. And... We did it again. It was a
1: ridiculously cool pitch. It
0: was so much fun. We um, were totally bold. We were totally crazy in our approach. We made such incredible personal connections in that room. I remember at the end of the meeting, you always, at the end of a, a pitch, kind of get a sense. Um, they wouldn't stop talking to us. I remember getting the phone call, and they said that, unfortunately, though, they had a lot of um, you know admiration for the work that we had done, that they didn't feel like we had the experience to do the the above-the-line work. So for those of you who don't know what that means, all the fancy like TV commercials and billboards and anything that was like glossy and fancy, and for us we had to do all the really kind of salesy stuff like newspaper and in-store and things that aren't as glamorous, and we were disappointed, but at the same time obviously very, very grateful because it was a big deal because it still was a step up from where we were. But I just remember feeling really disappointed that we couldn't win just because we, they didn't think we were big enough or we could handle it or we didn't have the bandwidth. And I knew we could. I knew I could rise up. I knew we could because nobody would work harder than us. So they went with Crispin. And I remember getting a phone call. Um, David and I got a phone call about four months in. And they said, listen, it's not working with Crispin. They don't get us. They fight us at every turn. They don't understand our business. They're not nimble. They don't move fast enough we want to give you guys a whole account. Wow. Just because of the work that we had been doing and they just saw how we partnered and how flexible we are. And I, I near fell over Mm -hmm. because this was like another like huge step up. So, you know, it's almost like this, you know, advertising is like a ladder. You kind of keep, jumping upstairs until you get to where you want to be
1: mm-hmm. this was a far cry from you know a little local business now it all was, of a sudden you're competing with the big boys
0: yes it was a big deal for us yeah, it was a big deal and we kicked butt for them mm-hmm. i again i felt like okay i really have to prove myself we have to prove ourselves we have to work so hard to make them proud of us because i can't let them down And we did it was amazing amazing And then those clients left, and they went to Lenovo, and then they took us there. Mm -hmm. And that's how we moved into global business.
1: Right. It feels like it's been a real pattern because you've sort of kept those relationships over the years, and they just keep on growing and evolving. And it's like you're working with the same tribe year after year, but we end up working with different brands, which is really neat. Um, So does that feel, when you won Gateway, was that success? I mean, did you take a deep breath and say, okay, this is it. Do I know that I'm successful now? Or have I always, you ever felt that? I always
0: have this moment where when it happens, I feel like I've hit... Because in my mind, I always set these um, goals. And so getting to them is a really big deal. And so when I get there, I feel like for a minute, I have to enjoy it and um, really kind of take that in. But I, I as soon as I get there within a few months I get uncomfortable in my own skin again because I need to do more I'm capable of more I'm capable capable of bigger I'm capable of better and I want to keep proving myself and making more people feel that way
1: okay got it so while we've been talking for a good bit of time about your career and growing the woo you've also in the meantime gotten married you've had two little girls yes and how did that go how did you manage to do all of that
0: So I think that that is probably one of
1: the hardest parts of my job. You know, there's this old adage or this belief that women can have it all. And I'm just curious what you think about that. Because can you have it all? Can you have a successful marriage? Can you have a successful career? And can you have a great time being a mother? I think that I haven't found
0: true balance. I think I work on it all the time. Um, you know, my kids are always telling me to get off my phone. They want more personal time with me than I can give. Um, you know, I feel like I'm in it with my team. I can't abandon them. So it's important that I'm there for them when they need me. Um, and sometimes that means it cuts into family time and it's hard. Like if they're at my office working late, I can't leave them and say, oh, you have to wait till I'm done with dinner, mm-hmm. you know? And I probably should, but I just feel like I want to be in it with them. And if I'm going to expect them to, you know, work late sometimes, I have to be, you know, open to that as well.
1: Mm -hmm. So do you think you've been a successful mom?
0: Um, I I think it's probably my biggest source of guilt. You know, I tell my kids um, all the time that they have one job in the world, and that is to make me proud. Mm -hmm. And I love that one rule because it really encompasses everything in the world, right? Every choice they make, everything they do has to be to make me proud. And I realized just recently, because I've been saying it to them ever since they were born, um, and I probably say it, like, at least once a week, that it is, it is as important that I make them proud as well. And this is kind of a new thing, you know, that I've been kind of wrapping my head around as I get older. And so, you know, I take a lot of um, thought and consideration into, you know, my company and how we treat our employees. I run my company like it's my family. Maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but um, you know, sometimes people tell me I'm too open, I'm too honest, I share too much. But that's just who I am, you know. And I like to get people's feedback. I care about what people think. I do. And everyone always tells me you shouldn't care, but I do care. I do care. I want my employees to be happy because I'm only as good as my team. You know, as far as having it all, no, I don't think you can have it all. I think you have to make sacrifices to do certain things and get certain places. And, you know, people keep saying to me, why'd you start this podcast? You're already so busy. you run an agency. And the answer is because I need to. I needed to do something, again, kind of that that was, you know, scared me because I wasn't sure I could do it. But... I wanted to be bold again and fearless and try something new. Mm-hmm.
1: So I want to teach my kids that. Do they get excited for you when you have business wins?
0: They do. It's amazing how much they know advertising lingo. And they, you know, call me and they'll say, how'd the pitch go? And was the strategic deck strong enough? And they're like, you know, they're 11 and 14 and they, they're into it. They're, they're very into my success. They know how important it is to me to make my clients proud of me also.
1: Right. It feels like Josh is there for you as well. I mean, I see him around the office a lot. Josh is incredible. He's
0: perfect for me. You know, I'm very, um, I'm a very bold kind of bossy person, and he is the most mellow human being. I don't, I can't imagine myself with any other man. He just balances me out. He's an incredible father. He's super supportive, and you know, I feel really lucky. We've been together since I was 24 years
1: old. Mm -hmm. Wow, holy smokes, that's right when you started the Woo, just about the same time, huh? Uh -huh. Boy, that's interesting. Yeah,
0: he was there before the Woo was even a thing.
1: Yeah, it's these parallel partnerships. So you know what strikes me is that this is so Valerie, because you are very truthful in your life. And I think one of the reasons that clients like you so much is that you tell the truth, that you are very truthful in your approach to business. I mean, everything is about this is what's real. And you've just shared the realities of being a working mom. And, you know, I think a lot of women like to pretend that they can have it all, but I beg to differ. I'm not sure if any woman can have it all. I mean, something always has to be sacrificed. And it sort of feels like, as watching you over the years, is that, you know, you go full bore with career. And then you take time off and you go full bore with family. And then when you're with Josh, you're full bore with Josh. You know, is that you're sort of cycling through these various aspects of your life, but you're dedicating 150% to each one of them when you're with them. Right. I think I think
0: that's what's important. Um, You know, I think my kids are going to um, grow up and think of me as someone who has an incredible work ethic, someone who's passionate about what they do, and most importantly, I love what I do, and I I can't express how important it is to me. That I pass that down to them. I don't. I think I was born weirdly driven. I don't think you know. There are. It's normal to be as driven as I am.
1: <laughs> you want to talk about Arielle for a minute? <laughs> yeah. <she laughs> about was... her passions and her where she's going to go in life. I know she's already
0: obsessed with this idea of going to Harvard, which is incredible.
1: And she'll probably go there if she's anything like Valerie. She'll probably end up running Harvard. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, hope. So as you sort of reflect on your life. What worries you most? Like when you're going to sleep at night, you know, sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night. What do you worry about? What are those concerns that you have?
0: So I'm not going to lie. Being a business owner is stressful when you're privately owned. It's tough. Um, You know, it's almost a direct um, conflict to be a creative director and an owner of an agency. And so I struggle with that because I have to fight for the creative integrity of the product that I um, put out but I also have to make sure that I can pay my overhead and my staff and that cash flow is there and that I'm making correct decisions in HR and it's tough and I'd say you know the job is kind of split down the middle and even though I'm the executive creative director I have to wear this other hat. And that's the part where the stress comes in. The creative part and doing the part for the clients is what I, I, you know, what I love most and what comes really natural to me. The other part is where the stress is. And so there's many sleepless nights about things that happen. And um, you know, I just kind of work through them.
1: So when you think back on your childhood from your perspective now, what advice would you give to 10-year-old Valerie?
0: what I've learned is there's always a solution to every problem. And when I was younger, I didn't used to think that. I used to think when a problem came up, it was the end. It was over, it was a catastrophe, it sucked. What am I gonna do? And through experience, I've realized that that's absolutely not the truth. And when problems come up, which they do in business, you just go to the next best option, plan B. And you know, I can't tell you how many times people will walk in my office and they'll say, did you see the email? And I know immediately that means something really bad, like a client killed the campaign or we didn't get payment or you know, something really terrible. And I always just take a deep breath and I always just say to myself, whatever it is, we'll figure it out. We always do. And so when I was younger, I used to really catastrophize about everything that went wrong. And now I think what happens is when I hear the news, I let that happen for about 30 seconds, and then I put myself right back on track because there's always a solution.
1: So what advice do you give to yourself 10 years from now?
0: I need to figure out the work-life balance a little better. You know, I always wonder of how... You know, and when I could ever get to a place, like I can't even imagine what my life would be like without this company and without my brain always on overdrive and what that's going to be like. So I need to figure out how to slowly ease into what that means because I don't want it to be a huge shock to me. So I need to work on it.
1: Okay. So what advice do you give to your kids?
0: Um, I think for my kids, the most important thing I want them to do is I want them to, number one, treat people with kindness and really think about what it is they do and how it affects others. It's something we talk about a lot. And it's something that I've actually learned a lot from you. It is. It's true. And I know you hate when I give you compliments, but I'm going to do it anyway, just because we've had so many conversations about this over the years and how we treat our employees and things like that. And as I've gotten older, that's become more important to me. And so I try to instill that into them at into a younger age. I want them to have an incredible work ethic. I find that sometimes um, there are people around me that don't have an incredible work ethic, and that's hard for me. So I want people that really want it because I, I, I love to give people chances when they're not that experienced, but they have the drive. That excites me more than anything because that's who I was. And so I want to pass that on to other people.
1: Do you feel as energetic today as you did 22 years ago?
0: We've only just begun.
1: Yay! Good. Yeah, we've
0: got a lot more to do. You know, I think, um, you know, we, I got to keep just raising the bar and kind of living up to what that is and showing the world and myself and my kids that we can do it.
1: So you're not finished yet, are you? I'm not finished. Woohoo! Yeah, woohoo! Right. <laughs> okay. Well, wow. What a conversation this was this afternoon. Thank you so much. And in the beginning, I said that I know you, but I couldn't wait to really know you. And I feel like I know you so much better now. Really? Yeah, you really do. Oh, good. <laughs> I really do. There are some interesting little stories, but you know, this idea of who you are as a human being is what creates success in all aspects of your life. And what would you share with people who are listening about what you think defines you?
0: I think what's really important is that people um, get really focused on what it is they want out of life. They find out what they're passionate about. And most importantly, it's okay to be terrified of something and still move in full force towards it. And it's okay to be fearless at the same time. And I, I think that for me, fearlessness, just so we're clear, sometimes just means that you have to convince yourself that you can do it. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a room and been in a tough situation, and I've had to say to myself in my head, okay, I have to act fearless right now. I have to act like a boss. I have to act in charge, even though I was scared inside. But just by feeling and acting in a certain way, and it gives me the confidence to believe in myself, and then I can make it a reality. Because people want that confidence. And, you know, again, it's always about being truthful and doing whatever you do from the heart and you know, making sure that people feel that. And don't
1: try to sell stuff. Don't try to sell stuff. That's really important. Excellent. Thank you so much, Valerie. Thank you. So just for fun, I would like to introduce you to Jordan, Valerie's youngest daughter. Hey, Jordan, how old are you? I'm 11. 11, nice. So what makes you most proud about your mother? Um, but she works really hard, and she's really creative. So, Jordan, I'm going to hand over the mic to your mom, and you can ask her a couple of questions, okay? All right. Hi, Jor. Hi. How are you? Good. Congratulations. You're my first
0: Gen Z co-host. Do you know what that means? No. It means that you are my youngest ever co-host. So usually we have um, the co-host ask some questions, and I know that you came up with some questions for me. So what do you got?
1: What inspires you to come up with creative ideas every day?
0: Well, I think that creativity is a little bit like a muscle. So when you find out that you have a talent um, when you're young, which we've uncovered that you, for example, are a great artist, you work at it, and the more you do it, the better you get. And so through the years, I've been able to um, have to come up with so many ideas so quickly that now it just kind of happens second nature because I've kind of developed that muscle in my brain to be able to do it. But I think another big part of that is also just being really aware of what's happening in the world and what's new and fresh and exciting. And as things change so quickly, we have to make sure that uh, we're adapting and evolving with things as they change.
1: Is it easy or hard doing creative, the creative part or business part? And um, which one do you like better?
0: Um, I think for me, I like both. And as I mentioned before, advertising is the perfect intersection between creativity and business. And so I'm really, really lucky that I get to use two parts of my brain. And so for half the day, I get to do creative fun stuff. And for the other part of my day, which is the more challenging part for me, is the business side of it because things change all the time in business. And I think there's more stress with that part of it. And I think that's it. Thank you, Jordan, for asking me questions. I love you. I love you too.